All right. Hey, friends, thank you for being patient and forbearing with us. Uh, it is once again in times like this when we're reminded that our best plans often go awry. And the Lord has given us wonderful minds and he's created technology in his common grace. And yet we are fallible. He is not. These things fail. And so uh, we have to trust him and make do with the best we got. And it is, again, yet another reminder of why it would be so nice to not have to deal with this, to be able to gather again. Lord willing, we'll get to do that next week. Um, and before I get into the Word, actually, I want to talk a little bit uh, about a few items related just to our life together. So before we get into the message, just a few announcements uh, that really need to be made. Uh, first, this one is to the members of UBC. Uh, we will, Lord willing, be having a church conference two weeks out on May 31st at 6 p.m. So members of UBC, just take note of church conference, two weeks out, May 31st at 6 p.m. Let me talk briefly about why we're doing that and then how we're going to do it. So first, why? Well, we lost our church conference in April and we have key elections for various offices uh, that just can't remain sort of on hold indefinitely. So we nominated Ryan Troglin uh, to serve us as an elder all the way back in January, and that nomination still lingers uh, as well. Ben Evans, his first three-year term as an elder, that expired during this COVID season. And so uh, at this point, we're officially renominating Ben. So two weeks from now, we can Lord willing vote to, to reinstall Ben, have him serve uh, as an elder. Similarly, three of our deacons as well, their terms expired during the season and we're renominating them so we can vote on them and they can continue to serve without a break in service. That would be Rob Arndt as Deacon of Transportation and Mike Lawrence as Deacon of Member Care and Jeff Ward as Deacon of Greeting. So all those men as well, renominating so they can serve for a second three-year term, uh, Lord willing. We'll vote on that, uh, we pray, on May 31st. In addition, we'll probably discuss our financials, and there may be a matter there to vote upon. Um, but what we're really trying to do that meeting on the 31st is keep it succinct and keep it simple, like just to the actionable items. That's the goal. Now, if you have a concern about any of the men who've been nominated, so Ryan's nomination back from January or Ben Evans or any of the deacons I mentioned, uh, especially if you think it would be unwise or inappropriate for any of those men to serve, uh, please reach out to an elder this week and talk to us so then we can address that. All right, now let's talk for a minute bit about the how. How are we going to do this? Because we recognize many of you either can't or shouldn't come uh, to the church buildings during this COVID season. And so if that's you, uh, know that we're going to stream this church conference so it's going to be available to the members of UBC Hopefully we can pray. We don't have any of the issues we've had this morning, right? We'll just try to work around that as best we can. Uh, that way it can be watched in real time. And in addition, when it comes to votes, we've considered various options, but it looks like the best option is going to be a, a text to this number kind of system. So we don't want to be doing hand ballots. That's not very sanitary during this season. In addition, we don't want to prevent those who can't be there from being able to vote on some of these key officers. And voting over Zoom, that's actually possible, uh, but it does limit one vote per screen. And if you've got households, that has complications. So we've looked up for various sort of scenarios there. Um, and again, the text to this number system seems to be the best way to be able to record votes in so far as you've got a phone that has texting capability. Uh, so that's the first thing, right? Church conference on May 31st. 
Okay, a second thing just to note is that do be looking this week, midweek, for another elder update. Uh, this time, what we'll likely be doing is we're going to have sort of a conversation, a video conversation on all the particulars that need to take place and will be happening on Sunday as we prepare to be gathering again. So we're going to talk about seating. We're going to talk about social distancing. We're going to talk about masks, talk about entry and exit and bathrooms, etc. All those things we want to be highlighting in that video. Um, but I want to particularly mention a few things now um, to be thinking of in anticipation even of that. So do know that during this COVID season where we trust sizable pockets of the body won't be gathering with us, we will continue to live stream the service. So hear that clearly. We will continue to live stream the service. We'll live stream next week, um, but we won't be recording it. So we will be live streaming it, but we won't be recording it. So you're going to need to make sure you tune in right at 1030. Uh, secondly, if you're a part of an ABF, those ABFs on Zoom will continue. Um, but in order to allow people time to be a part of their ABF and then to get into services if they want to come, those ABFs will be starting earlier. So they'll be starting at 830. Uh, so make that note as well. Uh, that's beginning next week. Uh, that's all going to go out in the midweek video. Uh, but thirdly, just also know that, Lord willing, I'll be returning to 1 Samuel 24. So what I was supposed to preach back on March 15th, 1 Samuel 24, Lord willing, that's what I'll be preaching next week, uh, May 24th, 1 Samuel 24. You can be reading that in prep. And lastly, a number of you have somewhat sheepishly reached out to me and, and let me know you probably won't be there next Sunday. Now listen, whether it's about sort of concerns over health or concerns over children, friends, that's fine. All right, you need to know that's okay. Don't feel guilty if you've decided, like for good and legitimate reasons, that you're not going to come the very first time we gather again together as a body. Does the Bible call us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves in Hebrews 10? Yes, it does. Normally, right, normally that's true. We want to heed that admonition. But in God's providence, there will be times where that's simply not possible due to illness, due to plague, due to war, due to any number of things when we're not able to gather wholly as a body. And the Lord knows that. And friend, that's okay. Right? It's okay. So please come when you feel that it would be wise for you and safe for you and safe for all. And in the interim, know you've got the live stream and remain as connected as you can through your adult Bible fellowship, through your life groups, and be praying that this season would soon come to pass. All right, like passes and be over, right? No moss, no more. All right, so that's all for the announcements. Uh, let's take a moment and pray, and then let's dive into the Word together. All right, God, we pray. And we are once again reminded of how we are not in control, and yet you are. And so we come to you as the God who reigns. And we can rest despite all the things that we can't ourselves master. You're the master of all and you're sovereign over all. And so we look to you and we trust in you. And whose name we pray, Jesus Christ, the one who reigns right, the risen Lord at your right hand. We give you praise, amen. All right, friends, some things in life just never seem to come to pass. Like 
a winning season for the Cleveland Browns or a water polo team for the Arkansas Razorbacks. Never seems to happen, never comes to pass. Despite our best efforts, despite our dreams and our plans, so often those dreams and plans, right, they elude us. They elude us. Maybe it was a career that you always wanted. Maybe it was the ability to have children. Or maybe it was the hope that your children and your grandchildren would live near you, or you'd be able to see them regularly. Maybe it was a senior prom you hoped to have this spring, or the chance to walk across a stage and receive that diploma at a high school or at a college graduation. You know, I always wanted to run a marathon or compete in a triathlon, but my knees never seemed to help to hold up. And it just never seemed to cooperate, it wasn't for me. Friends, some plans, despite all of our best efforts and all of our planning, those, those plans simply don't come to pass. How many plans has this COVID season ruined, right? Our calendars for months, they've been wiped clean. And for some of us as well, our bank accounts right alongside them wiped clean. It makes us wonder and it forces us to ask, is anything in the future certain? Is anything certain? Is there anything we can look forward to and know without a shadow of a doubt that it can't be taken from us? Friends, that brings us to Psalm 96 this morning. Psalm 96. Let me invite you to turn there. Let me invite you to turn there and then follow along, or if you want, read along as I read through Psalm 96. We lost. Okay, I'm not going to worry about that. All right, Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. 
Friends, I wonder if you feel it, the energy and the exuberance of that psalm, right? There's a celebratory flair to it. We're, we're three times, we're called to what? Verse one and two, we're called to sing, sing to all the earth, to declare God's glory. Three times then in verses seven to eight, we're called to ascribe to the Lord, worship him, worship him in the splendor of his holiness. But let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice, verse 11. There are seas that are roaring and fields exulting and forests and trees that are singing. There is an irrepressible excitement in this psalm. It's a psalm that throbs with anticipation and expectation and exaltation, all of these things. Why? Verse 13. He comes. The Lord, he comes to judge the earth. The Lord is coming. He is coming. That fact, it's presented as a certainty. There's not an if, an and, or but about it. No qualification. Absolute certainty. In fact, God intends that we bank our very lives on it. He means us to do just that. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is something maybe a bit different. Normally we work through a text. We work through it expositionally. And I started these this COVID season more with meditation and devotion. And then it's kind of just instinctive to my nature. What do I do? I drift into longer expositional sermon. Um, but I want to sort of step back for a minute and just spend a few minutes reflecting and particularly reflecting on verses 11 to 13 as they sort of have implications throughout the rest of the psalm. Uh, so I want to reflect on the Lord's coming, and I want us to think about two implications of that coming. The first is declaration, and the second is celebration. Declaration and celebration. So let's first think about that first implication of the Lord's certain coming, right? One of declaration. You know, this psalm, is, as we've seen, is part of a series of enthronement psalms that run up to Psalm 100, and they really rejoice in God's reign as king. And there are similar calls in this psalm, as we've seen in past psalms, to calls to worship, calls to sing, right? To declare, verse 10, the Lord reigns, and similar themes surface, right? The Lord as creator, we see again in verse 5. The Lord as king, verse 10. Lord as the coming judge, verses 13 and 14. And yet what makes this psalm distinct is how these truths are not merely for Israel's consolation, but they're actually offered up as the hope of the nations. They're really offered up as the hope of the nations. So notice how Israel is, verse 2, to tell of God's salvation from day to day. Verse 3, to declare his glory. Where are they to declare that glory? To whom are they to declare that glory? Among the nations, right? To non-Jews, to Gentiles. Verse 7, invite the peoples, right? Foreign peoples is what that word refers to. Foreign peoples to what? To ascribe glory to God. Verse 10, say again, among the nations that the Lord reigns. Six different times, we read of the nations, verse 3 or verse 10, or the peoples, again referring to foreign peoples, verse 3, verse 5, verse 7, again in verse 14. 
all called, all invited to participate in these saving acts of God. Even the reference in verse 7 to the, the families of the peoples, that harkens back, it calls us back to Genesis 12, verse 3, when Abraham is promised that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. This makes Psalm 96 perhaps like the great missionary psalm of the whole Bible, Psalm 96, which if you think about it in its context is actually quite fitting because in the previous psalm, right, the last psalm, Psalm 95, ended what? On Israel's obstinacy, on Israel's rejection of God's word. And so just as we see with the ministry of Jesus, just as we see with the ministry of Paul, when God's people reject God's word, when Israel rejected it, what happened? They took it to the nations. They took it out to the nations. We're already getting whispers here of Romans chapter 11, where Israel's rejection paves the path for the Gentiles' salvation. And this is why we have to be about declaration about declaration. And notice the nature of the message that's being shared. It's an inclusive call, but with an exclusive claim, right? It's an inclusive call, but it makes a very exclusive claim. So inclusive in that, notice all are invited. Verse one, all the earth invited to sing to the Lord, all the earth. Verse three, his marvelous works are to be declared among all the peoples. It's not merely a message for the politically connected, right? for the wealthy, for the West, for the rich, or for the privileged. It's not an exclusive claim that any one nation can hold, right, or any one people group. It is a global message for global people about this very global God. And it's why, as much as possible, as a church, we ought to be prioritizing missions where the gospel isn't known, where the gospel isn't declared, where there are no churches, where there are no earthly assemblies that testify to that glorious heavenly assembly that's to come. And it's why as a church, we continue to be committed to raising up pastors, right? As we saw in Acts, the Great Commission is fulfilled through church planting. And those churches have to have faithful pastors. And that's the charge that Christ gives to his church to raise up pastors to help fulfill this great commission. And yet, this very inclusive call makes very exclusive claims. So verse four, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. It doesn't say he's to be feared along with the gods, right? Put Jesus up alongside Baal or Apollo, you know, not alongside Muhammad or Krishna. No, doesn't say add Jesus to the pantheon of gods you've got on your shelf. Not at all. It says he alone is to be feared above all gods. He uniquely has pride of place. Why? Verse five, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens, right? All are worthless, mute, 
and dumb idols of wood or stone, or men who live and die never to rise again, right? Worthless, and yet one and only one is worthy. And that's the one to whom we're to declare, and that's the one that we're to share. This, friends, is what has made Christianity explosive right from day one. People will tolerate your exclusive beliefs so long as you don't press them upon others. And yet that's exactly what Christianity can't tolerate. That's what Christianity won't tolerate. And this was what was so offensive to Rome. that You've got this small ragtag group of people holding themselves out as followers of Jesus Christ who insist on this very exclusive claim that Jesus Christ is the one way and the only way to God, not the idols of Rome. And they yet, with this very exclusive claim, they projected it and invited inclusively all to participate in it. They called everyone, regardless of race or ethnicity or class, to repent and to believe and to become part of this new worldwide family. And this right, was the bolt of lightning that really electrified the Roman Empire. This was the earthquake, right? This exclusive message with a gloriously inclusive call that eventually brought down all the ancient Roman gods. Jesus has always been doubly offensive. He's offensive to religious people for his inclusivity. How often do we see that with the Pharisees, with religious leaders? Offensive for his inclusivity, for who he hangs out with, for who he invites, who he spends time with, and yet offensive to the world for all of its exclusivity. Friends, this is the message we have to declare, to sing, as the psalm says, to tell, to ascribe, to say. Notice all those verbs are about speech. We can't simply do good things. We have to declare even better things in our proclamation of the gospel. You know, friends, you will talk about what excites you. You'll talk about what excites you in the same way that you'll spend money on those things you value. And if you truly value this message, if this is the message that truly excites you, then you will naturally share it. Friends, declare this message. Reflect on it and declare it not as something that would embarrass you, but something that in fact energizes you, something that has truly gripped you. I mean, who wants to hear a message from you that hasn't moved you? Who wants to hear a message about God that you could, well, in a way that you present, like take it or leave it. That's not that big a deal. I don't care that much about it. That's not how we want to present the gospel. We want to be those who present it happily and joyfully like it matters as it does. Friend, what would it be like what would it be like to have a party where you are the sole celebrant? A great feast. You've got all these food, all this food and all these festivities at this party, and yet there is no one at that party to delight in it with you. Friend, we should never be satisfied to worship God alone. That's not a party we want to be part of. We want all to be invited in and all to hear and all to rejoice along with us. And he is coming. He is coming to gather his own. And so we can talk in our churches and can, we can debate all we want 
about the second coming. But friends, how helpful will that be if our neighbor, if our coworker, if our family member has never even heard of his first coming? If they don't even understand what that first coming was even about. You know, it's been observed the good news is only good news if it gets there in time. My Christian friends simply resolve to do this. This week, just resolve to pray for one person and take one active step to share the gospel with them. Just start right there. One person and resolve to take one active step. Pray about who that person would be and then strategize as to how you can invite them right to this end time feast, this glorious celebration, the mother of all parties, right? That will never end. Like this is the right kind of rager, like that you wanna invite people to. Friends, it is coming. And you've got to trust in the season when people are asking questions, the Lord could mightily use the words of the gospel. Not winsomeness, but your sheer happy excitement about the gospel of Jesus Christ to wonderful things. Now listen, if you are listening now and you wouldn't identify as a Christian, right? This, this gospel we've been talking about, that's never something you've noted as good news. Well, friend, this gospel, as Christians, we understand it's not just good news. It's wonderful news. It is awesome news that there is a God. This God here, this big and powerful and glorious God is also a gracious God. And he is better than any being you could possibly imagine. Right? The force and the canyons, the stars and the planets, Right? he created them. And you were created by him to know him. And yet the sad news is that we've all rebelled against this God. This world is broken and messed up. There is the pain and the frustration. Even things like COVID are a symptom of a much deeper spiritual problem. This rebellion that resides in every one of our hearts, what the Bible calls sin, where we reject God's ways in favor of our own ways. And the great news of the gospel, though, is that God, yeah, he could have just wiped us out. Could have started over with a clean slate, enough of these people. But he didn't do that. No, in love, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, down to earth. And he lived for us and died for us. He lived and died, the righteous ones for unrighteous people. And then he rose again, the only man ever to walk out of the grave, never to die again, and he now rules and reigns the right hand of the Father, and he, in doing so, defeated sin and death. And one day, he's actually coming back, which is what this psalm celebrates, and he's going to renew all things, everything that this world in our sin that we've destroyed and made a mess of, he will renew all of it, and he'll call all of those together with him, those who've repented of their sins, and place their faith in this exclusive, the only Savior, Jesus Christ. They are welcomed to live in eternity with him. And yet those who reject him will also be rejected in an eternity without him or suffering the punishment of him. My friend, if you don't know this good and very gracious and just God, there is nobody better that you could possibly know. So give yourself to him, trust in him, because there is 
nobody that's more gracious and more glorious than he is. And you can know him and you're actually meant and made to know him. But friends, this, this psalm and the truth that God is coming, it's not just cause for declaration. It is also cause for celebration. It's also cause for great celebration. And that's not often how we talk about the Lord's coming. When we read that Christ will come and he will come as judge of the earth, even as Christians, we tend to cower times at that truth. We tend to get a little uneasy. We tend to shift in our seats a bit. Perhaps we, we think, wow, we ought to talk about other things. But friends, notice how Christ's coming in this psalm, how this coming is a glorious thing. Friends, notice how it's a glorious thing and, and how the praise of the psalm, right? Praise is always proportional to its object, which is why in this psalm we have a kind of infinite praise because we've got this infinite God with whom we worship. Our God, right? He's no petty, petty deity, right? He's no tribal talisman. He's not like that. No, he's distinct, uniquely glorious and majestic, which is why verse 11, we read, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. What we were actually singing about in our great God, if you picked up on that earlier. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes. So just notice at the prospect of Jesus' coming, all creation erupts into a kind of symphony. Right, The earth rumbles with these deep bass notes. The sea crashes like a cymbal. The, the field sways like chimes. The trees whistle and sing. All of creation erupts into a kind of choir of celebration at the coming of this king. The time of groaning, right? Romans 8, that will have passed. It's gone. The time of rejoicing, right? That's what's come. That's the celebration that creation longs to partake of, that we long ourselves to be partners of. My Christian friends, even right in days like this, when everything seems to be awry, even in days like this, we have every reason to celebrate. Our Lord is coming. No qualifications. Friends, does celebration mark your life? Is there a kind of joy that quietly conquers the suffering and the sorrows of your life? Or do you rather have the demeanor of one who's just been defeated, utterly defeated? Or do you live instead with the kind of joy and with the kind of anticipation of one who's, who's cresting the hill? and who's about to lay eyes upon the most beautiful kingdom that you could ever behold, one of unspeakable beauty and bounty and joy, one kept in heaven for you. You, know, you realize there is a reason why so many of Christ's parables speak to his coming as a great celebration, a grand banquet a place where wine and laughter flow freely, Isaiah 25. Because for the Christian, Christ's reign, it's not a reign of terror, it's a reign of joy, right? Christ's dominion 
His dominion is not irksome, right? His rule is not heavy. It's not harsh. It's not burdensome. No, what do we read? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. His reign, Christ's reign, never be marked even with a hint of sinful preference or prejudice. It's a reign where one won't be shot for jogging while black. It's a reign of perfect integrity, veracity, and proper equality. All those things uniquely mark Christ's reign. My Christian friend, in this season, where so many of us had to toss out all of our plans, right? Toss them right into the trash, right? This one plan, this unique, distinct event, it will never be canceled. God won't postpone it. It is on his calendar and it is coming. Friends, it's not going to be held hostage by viruses. It is coming. The day remains fixed and it does not move. And every day it comes closer. He's coming. So if you're suffering under injustice, you need to know he's coming. If you are enduring great hardship, you've got to know he's coming. If it seems like your life has just been marked with constant deprivation, despair, everywhere you look, you've got to know. He's coming. If your body has been racked right, by, by weakness and by sickness, he's coming. If you're discouraged at the pervasive power of sin in your life, he's coming. If you're grieving death, if you're grieving loss, oh, he's coming. If you're distraught by all the things in your life, that you can't make right, it's okay. He's coming and he will make it right. It's why you don't give up fighting this morning, this truth. Let it propel you to keep in the fight, right? Don't give up fighting, whether it's for your purity or for your joy or fighting in that struggling marriage. You don't give up because you know he's coming. It's why we have the courage to face opposition, because he's coming. It's why we can be calm when there is a war, it seems, raging all about us, because he's coming. It's why we don't need to despair. It's why we don't need to give in to fear. So many are giving in to fear. We don't need to give in to fear because he's coming. You know, there's that moment in the early morning when the, when the long and cold sort of darkness of the night, when it begins to give way, there is but the faintest glimmer of light out on the horizon. That moment when the, when the heavy silence of night is awakened to the first chirp of a bird, and the sun begins to rise, and all the earth begins to awake in a chorus of song. Friends, that's right where we are. That's right where you are. The long night of oppression is almost over. 
We're at that moment where the cold and lonely darkness of night is beginning to give way. There is, even now, the glimmer of light on the horizon. Even now, the birds begin to sing. Fields exult and meadows fair with each bud and blossom there. In the lonely woodlands now, chants aloud each rustling bough. Friends, can you see it? Do you hear it? Do you feel it? He's coming. Your king is coming. He's saddling his horse. And he's coming for you. Your king is coming for you. The one who died to save you. The one who ever lives to intercede for you. And the one who's coming once and for all to finally deliver you. He's coming for you. Are you ready? Let's pray. Oh God, we give you praise that you regularly remind us in your word constant markers that this world is not all there is and that all that is broken and all that we have broken, Lord, you will one day make right, that you are coming for your own. Lord, help us to declare that and to celebrate that in all the ways that are fitting of you, a glorious God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.